The Astraea Trilogy Written and read by Seymour Hamilton Book Two The Men of the Sea Chapter Twelve In Which Astraea is Drowned and Rescued The fog had retreated toward the horizon, and a gentle wind moved Cygnus quietly through the water, her masts standing straight up and down. Astraea looked at the gently rolling sea. He felt distant from everything that was going on around him, as if he were invisibly watching the people he had never seen before. He had stretched his endurance to its limit over the long days and nights of racing against Elusive in the hopes of reaching Lindy before Mufred. Then, somehow, he had found reserves of energy for the battle between the two ships and his inconclusive fight with Mufred, who was now somewhere at sea, presumably still looking for the stone that Lindy wore. When he had first used her Echo Stone to navigate toward Charton, Astraea had been so sure that he would be able to find her, but when he was near, so many stones together only caused him pain. He reasoned that she must be on land near where Cygnus had almost been wrecked, while he was stuck aboard a ship he no longer controlled. He was standing at the ship's rail, numbed by this puzzle, when Adramin gave the order to heave to. Soon Cygnus was head to wind, rocking gently on low swells in the watery sunshine, waiting for the molly to catch up. The ship's company, first increased by the survivors of Silver Swan, was now more than doubled with the addition of men and women from Elusive. Some of them had gone below, but most still stood on deck, staring at the land. Astraea wished there was someone he could talk to, but Damon had inexplicably rejoined the molly and Walt had disappeared after he had tossed Mufred back onto Elusive. Adramin came astern and stood looking at the molly sailing towards them without acknowledging Astraea's existence. The details of the shoreline were blurred by distance, but the heads of the cliff at the harbour mouth were clear and sharp. Astraea briefly considered what he might say to Adramin, and a great weariness came over him, so that he no longer cared what his cousin said or did. Instead, he recalled another gap in the cliffs, the one that led to the village. With the memory came thoughts of Alanna that were so painful that his mind slid away. He frowned, recalling his hours of sketching aboard the molly, and then, when he shook his head to rid himself of images he had not consciously summoned, emotion threatened to overcome him. He deliberately widened his eyes and concentrated on looking at the sea and thought about how much he could record if he had Gar's paints and Lindy to mix them. "'I'd need a range of blues for the sea,' he said to himself, "'and I'd run them together with a wet brush, blending from near green to deep blue and on to white in the distance. And I'd leave highlights for the paper to look through the paint, so that it would suggest light on the water when it's ruffled by the breeze.' Too bad there's no way to capture the land scents of plants and trees still coming from shore. However, try as he might, his concentration on what he had learned in the magical days and weeks with Lindy and Gar at the castle could not replace the pain of knowing that his mother was dead and Lindy lost. He stared out to sea where fog obscured the horizon, blending into the pale sky. After a few calming moments when he didn't think of anything, he glanced at Adramin and noticed that they were both standing with their hands behind their backs, distanced from the crew by the authority projected by their black clothes and the power of command they represented. 
He wondered briefly if the men and women going about their tasks knew that he no longer had his brief ascendancy over Adramin. He shrugged and went back to leaning on the rail, his shoulders slumped, staring at the Molly's bluff bows, unable to see anyone behind her sails. He wondered what he would say to Roaring Jack, half raised his arm to wave, and then stopped. "'That man knows what he's doing,' said Adramin. Adramin's words reached Estrella as if from a great distance, even though they were scarcely an arm's length apart. What he heard somehow put aside all his unresolved emotions, and he was able to consider his cousin's words objectively. In this curiously lucid state, it occurred to him that although his cousin would never be able to say that his ship had been rescued from grounding by a fishing-boat, Adramin was nevertheless admitting that he had needed help. Estrella dared to hope that his cousin also rejected Mufred's murderous piracy and kidnapping. "'We could use men like him aboard Cygnus,' Adramin continued. Estrella heard the calculating tone in Adramin's voice, and saw that far from complimenting Roaring Jack, he was evaluating how he could improve the crew he had stolen from Mufred's ship. "'Did all these people from Elusive volunteer?' Estrella asked not expecting an answer. To his surprise, Adramin started to justify himself. Mufrid had his favourites wear black, as if they were of the family. He kidnapped most of his crew, but because none of them were seamen by choice, he needed his band of knife-men to help him rule. Dabby told me long ago that there were a few seaborne aboard who didn't have a lot of use for him or his methods. I told a couple of them that Oron was gone, that Cygnus was um, under new command, and the word spread. And then there was a rush by the people whom Mufrid kept locked up below whenever he got close to shore, the ones that were looking for a chance to jump ship and go home. They're the people let out by that great red-haired lubber from the fish-boat and the little fellow who came aboard from Elusive at the City of the Sea. Estrella thought he heard self-justification in Adramin's tone, almost as if he were about to say, It wasn't all my doing. "'Cam,' said Estrella. "'He's from the village. I grew up with him,' he added, hoping to extend Adramin's confiding mood. "'He's a sharp one. I could make a sailor out of him, too.' He paused, and then continued as if thinking aloud. "'Of course the real lubbers will want to go ashore. The women want to go home, and so do some of the youngsters. There's more than a few that will serve.' "'Not all of them, though.' Estrella searched for words to keep Adram in talking. What about the notion that you're the Grand Master foretold who'd lead them to a soft life ashore? Well, not exactly. But now Oron's dead, Adramin mused aloud as if Estrella had not spoken. There's a few we'll lose. Old folks, like Peg. And some who are tired of sailing with gear that's been patched and pieced until we're never sure whether we'll get through the next big blow. But if we can replenish and repair, most of them will stay aboard. It's the only life they know. It's the only life I know. Estrella decided that Adramin was essentially talking to himself. Rather than draw attention to the unguarded admissions he was hearing, Estrella waited until the silence stretched out. His arm tingled softly as if from a great distance, and he nearly spoke Lindy's name out loud. An overwhelming sense of loss washed over him. Looking for something to push away the desolation he was feeling, he tried to connect with Adramin. 
Wouldn't you want to have a wife and children some day? Women? Huh. Well, I'd like at least one son, of course, but the rest of the lover stuff? Not likely. That's not what the family does. The family doesn't marry? No. Why should we? Estrella had a sudden memory of Alanna's face candlelit at her table. Who was your mother, Adramin? he asked. Adramin shrugged and answered off-handedly as he watched the molly coming alongside. Never knew her. None of the family knew the women who bore us. They all died in childbirth, or soon after. Better that way. Keeps the seaborn strong. Except for me, said Estrella. And now she's gone. Estrella looked at his feet, his vision distorted by unshed tears. He contrived to brush them away while pretending to cough. When he looked up, he saw Adramin regarding him with disdain. Estrella drew a deep breath, and his grief turned to anger. He stood taller, his voice hardened, and he lashed out with words calculated to annoy. "'Look about you, Adramin, the crew of the Cygnus. They're all old, older than you and me by years, decades. The men of the sea are dying. We can find more ships, and train more men, and there's younger ones among those who I got from my f from elusive. Do you think you could talk Roaring Jack into saying good-bye forever to his daughters, or never to return to his wife Molly, for whom he named his boat, to obey you blindly when you eventually turn into a madman like your father? Adamin's face contorted, and he turned away. Shouting orders, he went to provide unnecessary supervision to the men and women preparing to bring the molly alongside. Estrella stood still, breathing steadily, stoking his anger. But instead of hating Adramin, his mind slid into wondering if it had been his mother Alana's death he had felt when he had been under the influence of Potine, and if he had somehow known his loss before Mufrid had taken an evil pleasure in telling him. He fixed his eyes on the head of the molly's brown sail, as it appeared on Cygnus' starboard side. A forlorn hope plucked at his mind. Perhaps they would tell him that Mufrid had been lying, and that Alanna was waiting for his return. Then he doubted he would get the truth from the skipper and the crew who had abandoned him in Teenmouth. Without knowing what he was doing, he composed the expression onto his face, locked his jaws tight, unaware that it made him look even more like one of the family that ruled the men of the sea. He strode slowly and deliberately after Adramin, until they stood side by side, waiting. Walt was clinging to the rail with his huge hands, leaning over the side, looking down at the molly, his short, thick legs dangling above the deck. Estrella glanced at Adramin, and saw that he had reverted to his usual negligent stance, weight on one leg, a wry twist to his lips. Tangled red hair appeared over the rail. Startlingly blue eyes above a red beard peered at the men and women. Then they saw the rest of Roaring Jack as he climbed aboard, and stood with his broad shoulders hunched, scanning the watching faces. As the skipper's feet met the deck, Estrella spoke impulsively. "'Men and women of Cygnus, twenty heels for Roaring Jack, master of the molly!' Hadramin shifted his weight onto both his feet, and gave Estrella a long, disgusted look. But the healing had begun, and did not stop until all twenty strokes had reverberated through the ship. "'Welcome aboard, skipper,' said Estrella, in the silence that followed. Roaring Jack looked from one black-clad man to the other in puzzlement, 
and Estrella realized that the skipper had not recognized him. Estrella! I'll be jiggered! I thought, um, I feared you was gone! He paused, bewildered, and then looked Estrella and Adramin up and down. You're in black now, like the rest of them. Skipper, this is Adramin, sailing master of Cygnus, my cousin. You know Walt. Roaring Jack's eyes flickered from Astrea to Adramin to Walt and back again. He nodded cautiously. Uh, thanks for the stamping stuff, I guess. Enjoy the moment, Master Jack. We do not usually debase our traditions. Roaring Jack continued to frown at the three black-haired men in front of him. Then one ragged eyebrow went up as he made a connection. I think I got one of your relatives aboard the Molly. And, alas, who claims she knows you, Drea? Women, muttered Adramin, raising one eyebrow. The red-haired one is spoke for by your brother Dabby, Roaring Jack replied. Dabby climbed over the rail, one hand helping Becky to stand beside him. Drammin, said Dabby, stepping quickly towards his brother. You're all right, is he? If you're talking about Mulfred, he's back aboard elusive, said Walt. In a manner of speaking, I put him there. Dabby stared uncomprehendingly at Walt. Becky stood beside him, looking nervously from face to face. Well, that was right fine welcome you gave me, said Roaring Jack, his scowl belying his politeness. But now, if you have the last of my crew, I'll be heading back to the village. The last of your crew is said Estrella, and stopped. Roaring Jack did not mean him. Becky and Dabby exchanged glances. "'Master Jack, it grieves me to tell you this,' said Dabby, with the formality of someone much older than his years, "'but the young man named Yan is dead.' Roaring Jack's blue eyes blinked twice. He shook his head so vigorously that his beard and hair were a red blur. "'No! No! He died trying to protect his friends,' said Becky. "'He was very brave.' Dabby frowned at her lie, but said nothing. Roaring Jack stared from Astrea to Adramin, and then back again. He shook his head in disgust, his lips pursed as if he were about to spit. Astrea almost took a step back. He was being found guilty by association, and a part of him agreed with the evaluation. Roaring Jack's left eyebrow climbed towards his forehead, and he coughed to cover his difficulty finding words. Strayer, there's something I got to tell you. It's about Alana. She's why I came south. She's gone. And no, I done it, I told you. For her. If you care, now that you're with your real family. Astrea blinked and swallowed. He could no longer hope that Mufrid had lied. "'So, um, you won't be coming back, will you?' The skipper's tone made it clear that he was asking for confirmation, rather than making an invitation. Before Estrella could reply, other voices competed for attention. "'He's needed. He's our only stone-starter,' Dabby began. "'He's his own man,' interrupted Walt. "'Just a moment,' Adramin snapped. "'This is family business.' Roaring Jack looked from one black-haired man to the other, narrowed his eyes, and slightly raised his shoulders. "'Skipper, it was Yan who—' Estrella began. Roaring Jack turned his back and climbed over the side. Estrella stared after him. A huge hollowness possessed his mind. He was past feeling. 
and we will not talk of it before the crew, continued Adraman. Mirac, we're going below. We'll shape a course southward when, when, when I give the command. Derby hesitated, and turning to Becky, caught her by the hand. Wait for me. Peg'll look after you. Becky looked from Dabby to Peg and took a step toward the molly. Roaring Jack's voice came up from the boat. "'Come on down, girl. I'll take you back to your home.' Old Peg took Becky by the arm and whispered something Estrella did not hear. He wanted to intervene, but Roaring Jack's rejection had paralyzed him. Before he could even try to move, a huge hand closed on his arm, a thumb expertly pressing on the nerve inside his elbow. Walt swung him around and pointed him toward the companionway, the other big hand on his back. Estrella looked down at tousled black hair as shrewd dark eyes looked up at him. "'Mirac's got a green stone, and Dabby's got a green stone, and Estrella's got a green stone, and what have we here? So does ugly old Walt!' Without letting go of Estrella's elbow, he pulled on a leather ribbon around his thick neck and dangled a ring with a dark green stone. Fearing an attack like Mufred's, Estrella tried to break away, but Walt tightened his grip. "'Estrella,' said Walt, unexpectedly lengthening his name, "'now, before we go down, if you would be so kind to uh, start it up, I'll do the best I can for you, as family. Just a touch, that's all it needs. You've done it before.' Estrella looked into the innkeeper's cheerful expression and saw a man he owed for saving his life or perhaps it was Mufred's life, or even both their lives. He was not sure. But he also saw a possible ally, which he needed. He hesitated, and found that he was taking a deep breath and holding out his left arm, anticipating a shock that did not come. As Walt brought his ring close to the protective metal around Estrella's stone, it pulsed, brightened, and then glowed with a green fire. Walt untied the leather strap, licked the little finger of his left hand, and slid the ring over the first knuckle. "'Much obliged,' he said, and released Estrella's arm. "'Estrella!' Adramin shouted up the companionway. "'Estrella!' Estrella glanced behind him to see that the molly's sail was still close to the ship. A part of him wondered whether Roaring Jack was going to wait for him after all, while at the same time he knew that he would not. "'Come on, I want to surprise him,' said Walt. He twisted his face into an elaborate wink. They descended to the master's cabin, and paused at the door in the dim light of a single lantern. Walt reached a long arm around Estrella, opened the door, and then pushed him between the shoulders so that he almost fell into the cabin. Adramin and Dabby looked past him into the gloom of the passageway, where Walt stood framed in the doorway. Estrella turned to see Walt's lips split into a broken-toothed grin. "'You don't belong here!' said Adramin. You aren't. Walt held his left fist higher than his head, the little finger pointing upward like an insult. The freshly lit stone gleamed down on his hair. You were uh, saying? Where did you get that? Well, Dramin, I've had it for a long, long time. But your cousin Estrella here just lit it for me. This is wrong, said Adramin. He's a lover, an innkeeper. I gave a ring to Becky said Dabby, and I let it, too. A woman! Abomination! It's nothing that hasn't been done before, said Dabby. Me Isla was a woman. She was family. 
"'And so is this lubber, meaning me,' said Walt, helping himself to a seat at the table with a little backwards hop he needed to get into any normal chair. Estrella looked at two remaining chairs. One was within reach, the other across the table from them, where Oron had sat when Estrella first entered the cabin. It was clearly a challenge. Anyone who took it would be claiming the title of master. Estrella collected a chair from his side of the cabin, and sat facing Adramin. "'Innkeeper, you have a very short time in which to explain before we throw you out,' said Adramin. "'Right. I got this here ring from me ma, and she got it—well, really, she stole it—from me da.' "'Who was?' demanded Adramin. "'Someone you know real well, but I figure you won't believe me unless—' he looked meaningfully at Estrella. "'Leave! Leave us before you—' Estrella frowned, and then suddenly made the connection. "'Wait a bit. Debbie, Oron's book is in the drawer in front of you. He looked into it to check that my clasp came from my father. It has words engraved on it, and I guess the same is true of rings.' Walt eased his ring off his finger, looked inside the band, and quickly put it back on. "'Solitary,' he pronounced carefully. "'What's that mean?' "'Solitary. Alone. Meaning—' all by yourself, which you soon will be." Dabby took two notebooks from the drawer, opened one, frowned, slid it onto the table, opened the other, and flipped through the pages. Estrella's reads, Follow your star. Dragon belonged to Gianfar. He turned a page and scanned down with his finger. Here are the rings. Arrow, spear, solitary. It belonged to Mufrid. Walt threw back his head and let out a roar of laughter. "'But Mufrid had a clasp,' said Adramin. "'He drowned it by accident, and Oron—' "'Punished him by not starting it again,' said Dabby, still looking at the book. "'The one Mufrid's wearing now, the one he started from Astraea's, is Alner's. It says here that Mufrid lost his own more than thirty years ago. Listen. Now that Mufrid has drowned his clasp, he will be constrained to a ring— and have no further training in the arts of navigation. Oron cut him off thirty years ago, and then he lost his ring as well. By a strange and remarkable chance, thirty is just about how old I am, little brothers. Dabby Adramin stared at him, Dabby amazed, Adramin disgusted. Good thing I didn't kill Mufrid. Killing your da seems to me like a real bad thing to do, even if he is a shining example of a careless, heartless bugger. But if and I had, it might not make the two of you feel so brotherly to me. Hm. He'll be back. I doubt it. I'm not there to navigate for him, and he drowned his stone a long time ago before he'd learned much. He's on his own now, and the stone he stole and forced Estrella to light— well, it isn't working for him. He can't even get into the forbidden room, so he'll be navigating by what he can see by day and by stars at night. So he knocked me out for nothing. Dabby nodded. Walt looked at his ring dubiously. Adramin stirred in his chair, and a muscle in his cheek twitched. Elusive's still dangerous. He will come looking for us. Meanwhile, we need stores, supplies. For that we have to deal with the lubbers ashore. And that's where you need me. Seems to me you know what you're doing at sea, but you don't have an earthly clue about life ashore. You've probably got coin aboard, but I'm willing to bet you don't know what it'll buy. Now, 
bargaining, dealing, knowing how people think, who's interested in what. That's what innkeepers do. That's what I know best, and cause blood's thicker than water, I can do it for the bunch of ye. So where do we go? asked Dabby. Estrella burst into speech, no longer caring about how any of them would react. Be decent! Return the people Mufrid stole from Teenmouth. Find places ashore for Peg and those like her who don't want to wander any more. And who are you to be giving orders? demanded Adramin. Orders come from a master, from whomever sits in that chair, which you left empty. You can handle the ship, but you can't work the stones. Dabby can. Estrella, I can teach you a lot more of the navigation arts. Together we can— Hadrimin moved as suddenly as if he'd been kicked. He glared at Dabby. Estrella shook his head. Oh, no, I'm not going to be caught in the middle, thank you very much. Sort it out for yourselves. Sit in Oron's chair if you want to, Adramin, but don't try to make me fight you for it. He stood and turned toward the door. Wait, what about Gar? Uh, Gianfar's stone. You nearly put us ashore looking for it. Where is it? I don't know. It's somewhere close. It has to be ashore. At the harbor, maybe. I can't tell. But I think she—it's near. The Echo Stone will tell us, said Davy. Do you know how to use them? Estrella nodded. Then let's you and me— Adramin stood up so quickly his chair fell onto its back. He glared at Dabby and Estrella suspiciously. Walt's feet hit the cabin sole with a thump a heartbeat later. Dramin, we need to know. Janfar's Echo Stone is here aboard Cygnus. There should have been one on Elusive as well, but when Estrella and Janfar were given up for dead, we deep-sixed them, the way Oron would have done with the men that wore them. All right, Dab, go take a look. But take care. Don't let that mousy lubber fool you. And you, Estrella, remember that we'll be in the passageway, so don't even think of running onto the deck and giving one of your rabble-rousing speeches. Dabby waved Estrella ahead of him, and when he was through the door they walked side by side to the forbidden room. Adramin and Walt were behind them until they reached the door, which opened to Estrella's touch. Dabby glanced back at his brother, and followed Estrella inside. As the door swung closed, Estrella heard an urgent voice whisper, "'You have to stop him! He's going to take over!' Estrella wondered briefly if it had been Mirak, but then the near silence of the forbidden room closed around them. Dabby stood back from the table, and Estrella saw that his cousin wanted to assess how much he knew. Estrella pulled the fabric covering off the table, and lit the stones with the gesture learned from Oron. When he looked down into the pit, he could see only Cygnus and Elusive's stones, which were so bright that their light flowed together as if from one source. He glanced up at the shelf where Lindy's echo-stone glowed faintly. Estrella strove to keep his face and voice even. Had something happened to her, or was it only that her stone was obscured behind a hill or a cliff, as Oron had said could happen? Astrea stared at the chart table for a few moments and then looked up. Dabby's expression told him what he wanted to know. His cousin had no idea where Lindy's stone was. It was now clear to Astrea that he had been setting the direction throughout the long chase, even though at times Elusive had seemed to be ahead. Now he knew. He had no intention of confirming to Dabby or anyone else where Lindy might be. "'Too close to us to tell,' he said, knowing that he was deceiving with a half-truth. "'It's the power of two shipstones close together.' "'Closer, and more of them than you'd think,' 
said Dabby. He took a bag and an egg-shaped metal container from inside his jacket and put them carefully on the table. Elusive's shipstone is in this egg. The bag holds two clasps and a few ringstones as well. Even if he gets into the forbidden room, my father's going to be following the shoreline from now on. You stole the elusive shipstone? Debbie nodded. He seemed to be amazed at his own daring. For a long time, Dramin and I haven't liked what our father— He stopped, and Estrella guessed that he was afraid of saying more than his brother would want him to. And— and I wanted to spite him for all he's done to me. What about his stone, the one I let? It started getting weak almost at once. He could only feel the presence of a stone if he was nearly on top of it. Even a shipstone only made it glow feebly. Soon it may be dead. Besides, he's got nothing to use it on, even if he could. He's sailing blind. Blind to us, you mean. He can navigate without the stones, can't he? Oh, yes, he can. He knows the stars. And farther out into the ocean the compass works. He'll resupply, get crew. But— But he hasn't got a shipstone to point his way to Cygnus, said Estrella, more convinced by Dabby now that he was speaking as if to an equal, or at least to a fellow-initiate. Dabby, have you found it? Adamin's shout was muffled by the door. We can't tell, Dabby yelled back. They heard voices muttering and then the thump of a heavy fist on the door, followed by Walt's voice. "'Listen careful, Strayer. Open the door real slow and come on out. Quick as you are. I got me knife in me hand, so don't even think of drawing on me. You're my kin, and I ain't going to do nothing wicked, so long as you're sensible, that is.' Estrella looked into his cousin's green-lit face, and knew that, though he had stolen the shipstone despite his father, Dabby would not oppose the two half-brothers waiting outside the door. His eyes widened, and he stepped back nervously, so that he was on the far side of the table. Estrella knew he was on his own. What he had thought was a softening in Adramin's attitude had only been bait, as were the hints of cooperation from Walt and Dabby. Once more he had been deceived, but this time he was angry. He clenched his teeth, and he felt time slow. Unlike the cool readiness that had given him the advantage in fighting Jan, Karl, and Mufred, this time anger took hold of him. He hated everyone around him, and he hated himself for not realizing that he was being used until it was too late. He took a step to the door and pushed it ajar. Adramin's fingers gripped its edge and held it wide open, but he hesitated for just enough time for Estrella to step back to the table facing Dabby. So, Walt— this is how you do your best for me, is it? Too right, lad, and you'll thank me for it, you poor fish. Dab, is there another stone? Not that he can tell, or me. That's it. It's time. He lied. There isn't another stone, and there never was. His speechifying to the crew sent us on an albatross chase and nearly put us ashore. But the men think I saved them, and they'll follow me. We don't need him any more. We talked it over, Estrella. It's true. You're smart. Quick, too. But you didn't have what it takes to kill Mufred when you had your chance. And that's the truth. Truth, said Estrella. The truth is, Mufred couldn't kill me, and Walt's squeamish. So, Adramin, are you going to try? Don't you try to provoke me. There'll be no more speeches, and I have no intention of fighting you. 
The crew's going to see us deep-six the man who killed Oron and Miasa. Who spread that lie, I wonder? Mirak. He's up there now, making himself useful. You thought he fell for Peg's line about being the one foretold, didn't you? You are so trusting, so stupid. Mirak spent a lifetime obeying the family. He knows how things work. He's solid. Always has been. He's been setting the hook in you since the day you arrived. Estrella felt his face react. Abdomen smirked, and continued almost regretfully. To tell the truth, Estrella, I thought you nearly took Mirak over with your slick and smooth-tongued ways. Restarting his stone almost did it. But he tricked you into giving orders as if you were the master, and it worked, too. All the time you were thinking that you were saving the ship and trying to make everyone like you, the crew were looking at a man who wore the master's cloak without the right to do so. You even thought I would obey any man just because he was wearing the cloak. You tried to be understanding and friendly with the crew, as if that's why men follow orders. You even tried to get me to talk about women and children. Your soft ways nearly worked with Dabby, though, didn't they, little brother? But you did your job, Dab, so you can keep your little bed warmer. Dramin, I— Dabby began. Adramin interrupted him, his voice pitched in the commanding tone he used to order the crew. Walt, go get him! Go get him yourself. I ain't going in there. It's safe, said Dabby, if you know what you're doing, Estrella added, shifting closer to the table. Walt flinched. Get over here, Dab, before he grabs you. Walt's right. He's fast. I'll give him that. Too fast for you, Adramin? Estrella asked, again hoping to provoke. Move, Dab! Dabby edged around the table and out the door. Estrella looked at the three faces in the passageway. Though they would not come in after him, he could not stay where he was. I'll be with you when I've covered the stones. What's he saying? He's right. The table must be covered. I'll do it. No! He'll grab you. Let him do it. Estrella moved slowly and deliberately, making the process into a ritual. He took the fabric from below the table, rolled it loosely on his forearms, held one edge, and then threw the remainder over the table so that much of it hung down the far side. Then he slowly drew the cloth toward him, bending over the table to do so. The green light from the stones dimmed to a faint glow. "'Get on with it!' said Adramin. Estrella carefully adjusted the edge close to him, his hands in the darkness below the table. Then he turned and walked out of the room, closed the door behind him, and looked at them steadily. Both his fists were shoved into the waterproof pockets of his jacket, signalling that he had no desire to fight. Adramin's tall figure was ahead of him, and he had scarcely taken a step before he heard Walt's heavy tread behind him. "'When we're on deck, chuck him over the side,' said Adramin, as they climbed the companionway steps. His voice was tight as if it cost him a huge effort to give the order. But, Dramin, I thought, couldn't we at least put him on something he can row ashore? Belay that. Just ditch him. As Estrella stepped onto the deck, he felt Walt's hands ruffle his hair and fumble at his neck, almost like a parent saying goodbye to a child. Then he was in the air, held in a bear hug, his arms clamped to his body. Walt carried him across the deck, feet dangling, and doubled him over the rail like someone being seasick. Estrella looked out at the widening gap between the Cygnus and the Molly, so close he could have tossed a rope's end into the cockpit where Roaring Jack was standing. 
dive deep walt muttered into his ear then he grabbed astraea by the belt on the back of his jacket and threw him over the side for a long drawn out instant astraea was airborne looking at the lights on the water and wondering why the molly had waited so long to cast off from cygnus then he was head first in the water sinking fast with bright bubbles rushing past his stinging eyes he knew he was near the molly so with walt's words still in his mind he swam resisting the desire to surface as quickly as possible two strokes and he was in shadow three four and the sea was bright again turning his face toward the light he swam upwards his lungs longing for air just as he felt he could hold his breath no longer his head surfaced and he was looking at the molly's curved side his fingers clawed at the wood and somehow he hung on to the rubbing strake just above water level hey skipper stiffen me rigid it's strayer said redian i knew you'd come behind him roaring jack's eyebrows scrunched together in a frown red ian's face bent towards him skipper's not too happy with me i made him wait pretend i'm not here gasped astraea give me a rope's end and keep sailing red ian held the main sheet and with the sail obscuring the view from cygnus he flipped the loose end under the boom towards astraea who let go of the boat to reach for the rope the boat slid away from him the rope trailing behind marshalling his failing strength Astraea took two urgent strokes. His fingers closed on the rope, and then Redian was pulling him hand over hand through the water until his head was again against the starboard quarter, below the molly's gunwale. "'Right. I want the supercargo below,' Roaring Jack continued to stare ahead, the tiller in his hand. Astraea blinked water from his eyes and saw Skarm leaning over the side. "'Hang on there, Astraea. We'll have you aboard when the skipper puts us about.' Astraea looked up at Roaring Jack, but the skipper ignored him. The water was seeping through at his wrists and ankles. His fingers were going numb, but the black, shark-skin clothes of the men of the sea had kept most of his body dry. "'We'll have her about now!' The brown sail flapped once and filled on the other side. The wind freshened, and the molly began to surge forward at close to her best speed. Neck deep in the water, clinging to the rope, all Astraea could do to prepare was to let his feet float up to the surface. He looked up into Redian's face as the big man hung over the side, grabbed a handful of black jacket, and hauled mightily. Astraea managed to kick one knee over the gunwale, and then, as Red Ian provided the energy, to roll over the lip of the cockpit. Astraea thumped onto the cockpit sole and slid to the other side, where he lay catching his breath. "'Do you think they saw?' he gasped. "'Not a chance,' said Skarm. Astraea looked up past feet, knees, and weather-bleached clothes to Roaring Jack's bearded face frowning down at him. "'So they didn't want you, neither. Don't expect us to stamp our feet for you, lad. Not after what you did.' Astraea stared back, numbed by the skipper's words more than by the cold. "'What I did?' he echoed, mystified. Roaring Jack continued to look ahead of his boat, ignoring Astraea at his feet. "'Don't know why I keep on rescuing the black-headed bastards,' he remarked to the horizon. Astraea turned away from the skipper he had once respected. He shivered more from despair than the cold. The skipper thought he was guilty of Jan's death, and though a part of Astraea wanted to argue, to shout down the accusation, he was silenced by the thought that Roaring Jack had somehow guessed the violence, deception, and murder that ran in Oron's family. "'Stay where you're at,' said Reddy to Astraea, as he lay on the cockpit sole. 
We're still inside of the ship. Estrella looked up at Ian's familiar face, grinning down at him, and noticed fresh bloodstains around the waist of his shirt. You're bleeding, he said, trying to avoid looking at Roaring Jack's set face, which deliberately turned away from what was happening at his feet. There's been a lot of that, said Red Ian. Your friend Damon's being patched up below right now. Damon? Is he aboard? Red Ian nodded. And Cam? And a nice lady from Teemouth? And her two kids? And are you the one who was near killed at our well? Astrea turned toward the fresh voice. Two boys were standing in the companionway, staring at Astrea, their chins just above the level of the cockpit sole. He nodded, and the younger face disappeared to report what he had seen to those below. The other boy continued to stare as Astrea sat up and peeled off his jacket. His white shirt clung damply to his wrists and neck. Talking to the boy he had never met was easier than trying to deal with people who rejected him. "'My name is Astrea,' he said. "'I'm Abner. You're wet.' "'Some of me's still dry,' said Astrea, as he pulled off his close-fitting boots and poured water out of them. He shivered as he put them back on. The boy's face disappeared as he turned to speak to those below, and then returned to pass on instructions. "'The lady says you're to come downstairs.' "'Stay low, Astrea,' said Scarm. Astrea crawled toward the companionway, his jacket in one hand, the other checking its waterproof pocket. "'That's below in the sailor talk,' he said to the boy, who backed down the steps, making room for him to descend. He crouched, swung his feet onto the steps, and half slid into the cabin. Six faces stared at him, but he saw only one. "'Lindy!' Astrea saw a lock of hair sweep across her forehead as she turned her head towards him. She brushed it away with the back of her hand, dropping the bandage she'd been holding. Astrea watched the rolled material bounce on the table, recognized its purpose, and went on staring at it, as he slowly made what seemed to him a reasonable statement. "'You've dropped the bandage.' She looked at him dumbfounded, and he stared back blankly. "'Aren't you hurt?' He shook his head. Lindy stared at him, but he was still focused on the bandage, as if it were the only thing in the cabin. Neither spoke for an agonizingly drawn-out time. Lindy found her voice first. "'Damon's been cut. We're just patching him up. How are you, Estrella? Are you all right?' "'Red's bleeding, too. It must have been from when he helped me aboard.' Had there been room, Lindy would have taken a step back. Estrella's voice was as expressionless as the blank look he gave her to deal with a sudden hollow feeling, as physical as if she had been punched below her heart, she turned away, picked up the bandage, and turned back to what she had been doing. "'I'll get to him soon,' said Lindy, forcing herself to sound neutral. "'Maybe tie him down this time. He can't seem to understand. He's got to let himself heal.' Estrella could not look at her, lest he see the rejection he heard. Instead, he deliberately noticed that the cabin was full of people staring at both of them. Mary, the woman from Teenmouth, looked at him with eyes wide from too much fear. Behind her, the two children gaped, the incomprehension on their faces recalling Roaring Jack's blank gaze. Estrella stood on one foot, wondering what to do or say. He blinked at Lindy's back for a couple of heartbeats and came to a swift conclusion. Like everyone else, she had forsaken him. 
Yan had tried to kill him, his cousins had tried to drown him, Roaring Jack would not even speak to him, and now Lindy's interest in him seemed to be limited to whether or not he was bleeding. He swayed on his feet, whereas aboard Cygnus time had stretched for him. It now seemed overfilled with busy people, none of them interested in him. He stared at Lindy's back, wondering why he felt nothing. He could not even imagine how he would draw her. He looked past her shoulder at Damon, who sat with his arms in front of him. One of his arms was already bandaged, on the other a line of stitches ran up his forearm. A needle and thread was stuck in a bloody cloth by his elbow, which was being supported by the woman from Teenmouth. Damon, how did you get here? You were aboard Cygnus. You spoke to me when—when when you were fighting that man in black. Astraea recalled the moment Mufrid stood weaponless in front of him, as if it was happening a second time. If Damon had not spoken, would he have killed his uncle, or would Mufrid have killed him? Damon was still talking. So I ran to the front of the boat, and there were a bunch of people climbing along the—whatever you call that long pointy thing that sticks over the water—trying to get into the boat you were on. I could hear that madman running after me. Soon as I made it across, I kind of doubled over and got behind the sailors while he was crossing from boat to boat. He didn't notice me, but I could see him. He looked for me in that little shed at the back of the boat, and when he came out there was blood on his knife. Then he kind of paced about like he was wound up so that he couldn't stand still. And then you came running out the middle of the boat, and you went into the shed, and Mufred went after you, and then you both came out and started fighting. And I had to see, so— Shut up a minute, will you, Damon? said Lindy. I can't work if you're fidgeting. They're ships, Damon, said Estrella, and it's a bowsprit, not a pointy thing. Whatever. I thought you'd want to know what happened to me while you were taking charge of everything. Estrella heard the disappointment in Damon's voice. Sorry, Damon. How did you— Get aboard the molly? Oh, I climbed, uh, slid, down a rope, and the skipper picked me up. Then, when Jack delivered the boy who looks a bit like you, and his girl, we listened to you and your folks talking. And then Reddy and wouldn't let the skipper leave while you were downstairs with Walt and the other two, the ones who looked like they were brothers. They all were, said Estrella. Walt? Adramin and Dabby, Mufred's sons. Walt is related to the one you fought? The one who cut me up? Mufred. He's father to all three. He's also my uncle. So that's why you didn't do him when you had the chance. No, Damon, it wasn't that. I... I froze. Again Estrella felt his voice trail away into the continuous sounds made by the boat and the sea. He saw Damon shrug and then wince, as Lindy wound a bandage around his arm. Her back was still towards him, so Estrella focused on how her blonde hair was twisted together into a loose knot at the nape of her neck. Violence in defence is permissible. Murderous attack is not. Lindy's pronouncement focused everyone's attention on her, which she ignored. Estrella frowned, considered her opinion, and wondered who she had in mind. "'You're thinking of me, aren't you?' said Damon. "'I didn't really mean to kill that sailor. I just reacted, and then—boom—my knife was in his throat.' Estrella clenched his teeth as he decided that her criticism was meant for him. "'No, Damon, I wasn't criticizing you,' said Lindy. "'You were defending. You didn't begin it. But what Roaring Jack did by starting the whole fight was neither rational nor necessary.' He was amazing, said Damon. He and Reddy and cleared the deck of maybe a dozen men. 
He was deranged, said Lindy. He still is. Hold Damon's arm until I finish, Mary, she said to the woman whose two children were watching everything from behind her skirts. Damon spoke to Estrella from behind Lindy's shoulder. That man Mufrid really is crazy. All the time he was fighting, he talked low, almost gentle. He did it as he cut me. He talked to me like that, too, said Estrella. I thought so, but I couldn't hear what he said. I bet it was nasty. He winced as Lindy knotted off his bandage. Estrella hesitated. He wanted Lindy to know about what had happened, but he had always expected he would be able to talk to her alone. Now he feared that he would never have the chance. But with questions coming from Damon, and Lindy standing with her back to him, words spilled out of him without plan. It was very nasty. He told me he'd killed Yan. He boasted that he'd done it slowly, making Yan talk before he died. There was a silence broken only by the sound of Molly's rigging creaking as she rose and fell with the waves. The woman named Mary whispered something to her children, who had been watching and listening with open mouths. Estrella took a breath to stop himself saying anything more. Lindy looked at him silently, and he was suddenly very conscious of his wet, black clothes dripping onto the cabin sole. Behind him Roaring Jack's voice broke the uncomfortable silence. "'Come on up! The ship's hull down, and we're through the headlands. And for those of you getting off me boat, we'll be landing in no time.' "'I'd better go up,' said Estrella, struggling into his wet jacket. "'He doesn't want me aboard the Molly any longer.' "'Ridiculous!' said Lindy. Here, Mary, you roll up these bandages for me. I'm going to talk to Jack. Her skirt brushed Estrella as she climbed the companionway. Before he could follow her, he heard her voice. Listen, Jack, you're skipper of your boat, but you've got the wrong end of the stick. You can't blame Estrella because his uncle killed Yan. He must have done it. They're all the same. Black hair, black clothes, black hearts. Nonsense. You've known Estrella all his life. Yan said, Cam interrupted, Yan was a rotten, lying, misbegotten villain who should never have been— Roaring Jack scowled at Cam, his fist so tight on the tiller that the knuckles were white. That poor boy was— That poor boy near killed Estrella and left him for dead. We know that for sure now, said Skarn. Estrella took the last step up the companionway and stood in the cockpit. They were inside the headlands, with a brisk onshore wind shoving the molly toward the Charton Wharf. It's all right, Lindy. I'll go ashore. Then maybe the skipper can take you to your home in mattress before they head north. You can all get off me boat! Roaring Jack's voice was, as usual, painfully loud, but this time there was a shrill tone that none of them had heard before. There's nothing more I've got to say about them men of the sea. Jack! Alanna was Estrella's mother, said Scarm. She was your kin. His father was one of them men of the sea. Roaring Jack's voice was loud and angry, but not confident. Lindy looked into his eyes and held his gaze. Jack, why did it take you so long to come after Estrella? Jan said he was dead. But why did you sail south a second time? Roaring Jack's voice sank to what for him was a whisper. Cosalana, dying. She didn't just die, said Cam. Yan killed her. You only got the word of some murdering scum sucking. Roaring Jack's voice uncharacteristically tailed off. Listen to them, Skipper, said Redian. Stray is all right. So is his da. 
Roaring Jack's eyebrows shot up toward the tangle of red hair across his brow. "'You fixin' to take over me boat, Red? I ain't forgotten how you spoke to the skipper, stead of me, and how you made us wait alongside the ship.' "'Estrella,' said Scarm, "'what about the men of the sea?' Estrella tore his eyes away from Lindy and considered grateful for a question he could answer factually. "'They're dying. They've got two ships left out of almost a dozen, and they're almost all old, the ships and the men and women in them. No children, no young men, except for Adraman and Debbie and me. The family that leads them, my relatives, are all about power, and they're not about to give it up by ending the wandering. The unforgiven curse? asked Scarn. Estrella nodded. The paralysis that had struck him when he first saw Lindy seemed to have faded. I don't know if there ever was a curse, but Oron, my grandfather, believed in it until his death. But he also believed a lot of other things that aren't so. Facts didn't matter to him. It was all about going on the same way as before. Shun land until the time foretold, lest corruption be renewed and honour lost. And then he died. And then Mufrid tried to take over the ships, just as he did when he betrayed Estrella and Gianfar. "'You look like em. Roaring Jack rumbled, talking to convince himself. "'You dressed like em. You got some shiny silver thing round your neck, and you probably got that strange bracelet.' Estrella stood staring at the approaching shoreline and thought of the sketches he'd made on the way south. Was this the same man who had chosen him? "'Skipper,' he began. "'Oh, I got nothing to say to you.' Roaring Jack stared past him at the wharf, now only a few boat-lengths away. A hand patted Estrella's shoulder, awkwardly. He looked up to see Red Ian's face. The big man's look was sympathetic. He glanced at Skarm, who frowned at the skipper. "'Stand by. We're coming alongside. Red, douse the main. Skarm, get the jib. And you people make some room so's me crew can do their job.' Estrella winced, took a step backwards, and stood on someone's foot. "'Ouch!' said Cam. Seems like I'm you people, too. Hmm. Oh, well, I did come aboard as a stowaway. Estrella watched as the molly came alongside the wharf. Skarm in the stern and Red Ian in the bow each tossed a line around a bollard on the edge of the wharf and drew the boat close into the dark wood. Don't bother to make fast. We'll be slipping and leaving soon as we're rid of the supercargo. A timid voice came up from the cabin. Does that mean us? Do we have to get out, too? "'Not you, my dear,' said Roaring Jack to Mary. "'I'm taking you and your sons back to your village.' The molly bumped gently against the wharf. "'And watch what you're doing, Red. Same goes for you, Scarm. Now, step lively, the rest.' Estrella glanced up into the red-bearded face, but when Roaring Jack avoided his eyes, he shrugged, and as the molly lifted to a wave, jumped ashore. "'Fair wind, Scarm, Red,' Estrella said over his shoulder as he started to walk away. "'Hang on a bit, Estrella,' said Scarm. "'Take this with you.' He held out the little leather bag he had taken from Alana's house after the funeral. Estrella did not turn around. Head down, he plodded along the wharf, feeling completely alone. "'Wait, Estrella. I'm coming with you,' said Lindy. "'Me too,' said Cam, as he clambered onto the wharf. "'And me,' said Damon from the molly's deck. Estrella stopped 
turned and saw Lindy on the wharf behind him. As he stared, Scarm called Cam, who turned back towards the boat and caught the bag thrown by the old sailor. "'You—you—you'd come with me?' Strayer asked. "'Of course, Strayer. Do you think I'd just sail off into the blue with a boat led by this—this this seriously confused man?' "'Well, then you can all clear off me boat, and I'm glad to be rid of you. And you can take this here with you.' He flung the satchel full of Astraea's sketches across the widening patch of water between the boat and the wharf, where Lindy rescued it before it slid into the sea. Astraea saw the top half of Damon's head appear over the edge of the wharf between his two hands. Behind him the molly was already pulling away, her sails drawing. "'Hey, somebody help me! I'm stuck!' said Damon, whose chin was level with the edge of the dock and his feet dangling in the water. Cam and Astraea grabbed his wrists and pulled him up onto the wharf. He winced, but did not complain. When he was standing beside them, water squelching from his boots onto the wharf, Astraea sat down on a bollard and stared down at the dark timbers. Mufrid said he killed Yan, slowly. Did Yan deserve that? Sure he did, Straya, said Cam, except perhaps the slowly part. Think what he did to your mother. Astraea's throat tightened, and he could not reply. "'Take your time. You were right some busy when Mufrid was talking to you. You believe what Mufrid said, that Yan killed her, don't you?' Estrella nodded. "'He told me that Yan smothered her by stopping up the chimney in her cottage. But Mufrid was just trying to make me upset, so he could—' "'He wasn't making that up, Estrella,' said Cam. "'Scarm and me knew all along what Yan had done. It's part of why the Molly sailed south again. Scarm kind of took the skipper into the trip.' Alanna believed you were alive, and while she was alive she wanted Jack to go south looking for you. Nothing could make her change her mind. But Jack was sure you were dead, cause he swallowed everything that Yan said, and beside the fish was running like never before. Just about all the folks in the village thought Alanna was crazy, and Jack went along with them. Then when she was dead I think maybe he got to wondering about the promise he hadn't kept, and then he felt guilty he hadn't come after you. And that's when Scarn softened him up to sail south again. You thought she was crazy, too? Not me. Scarn and me thought different. We'd both seen how things always worked out for Yan, ever since he was old enough to talk his way around the truth. He did have a talent for getting his own way. But why would he want to kill— His voice faded. Simple. Were you dead, he was a hero. Only one person saw right through him and his lies, and said so, too. So she had to go. And I knew it, cause I saw him with soot on his hands from the shingle he used to plug a chimney. Lindy's lips moved with unsaid words of sorrow, but Estrella did not see them. You know he tried to kill me, hit me with an oar. Yeah, and Becky saw that. She told Mofred. And when she did, he asked me if I'd like him to kill Yan right there and then. Perhaps I should have said yes. Estrella barely heard him. When my mother died, I, I, I didn't know. She knew I was alive all along, but I didn't know when she was, she was, dead. The last word fell out of his mouth like a lead weight. Estrella, said Lindy, Estrella, it's not your fault. I should have known, I should have felt it. Maybe I did when I got drunk on Peg's poteen. It had something in it besides what gives whiskey its kick. It made the men strange. 
I nearly joined them, running around the deck like madmen, swinging out on halyards way over the sea, puking up their guts, and then going back for more. So, next day, I didn't believe anything I thought that night. You couldn't have done nothing anyway, said Cam. Estrella winced. It takes time, Estrella. When my mother died, for more than a year, I couldn't turn my mind to her without pain. Now and again, almost by chance, something would remind me of her, and I'd expect to turn around and see her. It still happens. But I used to be able to draw her from memory. Now I can't even remember her face. Well, I suppose I'd better get moving, though I don't know where. Right nice silver dolphins hanging round your throat. What else you got? said Cam. That's about all said Estrella, trying not to let his hand feel his pocket. "'Not quite,' said Lindy. "'There's a key around your neck.' "'I don't have—' His fingers closed on a key dangling from a lace, and he remembered what had happened before Walt grabbed him. "'Hold on a moment.' Walt ran his hands over my head just before he picked me up and threw me over the side. "'It's the lace he used for his ring, the one I let for him before he betrayed me.' "'Betrayed?' Lindy echoed. "'Like Adramin and Dabby and Kaus and even Mirak,' said Estrella, looking anywhere but at her. "'They played me like a fish, all of them, and then Walt slung me over the side.' "'Walt tried to drown you? Doesn't sound like him. Adramin told him to throw me over the side, and he did. Wait a minute. Just before he let go, he said, "'Dive deep,' and I did. Then I was under the molly, and—' Maybe he was on my side, after all. He wanted me out of the way, but he gave me a chance. He set things up so that others would think I'd drowned. He gave you the key to his inn, because that's what it is. I've used it on the back door. Estrella, I think you're now the proud owner of the pub I've been working at while you were off at sea. A small smile lifted the corners of her mouth. Estrella stared at her. Then you should have it. I've no idea how to run a pub. He passed the lace over his head and held it out to Lindy. "'I do,' she said, "'and you'll learn.' Their fingers touched, and instead of putting the key in her palm, Estrella found that he was holding her hand. His clasp tingled on his arm. Her fingers tightened on the key, and suddenly both of them withdrew. They stood still, wordlessly looking at each other like strangers. "'Now you'll need someone like me, who's experienced in the operation of taverns.' said Damon. Lindy's eyes wandered back from Estrella to look at Damon, who was running his fingers over his bandages. Experienced in drinking in taverns, you mean, and don't you go poking at yourself or you won't heal. So you'd better hire someone who's quick, smart, and highly skilled at the art of staying alive, such as me, said Cam. They walked together towards the black sheep. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astrea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.